Crash Course in History, Rabbi Blyweiss, session number 10. We reached, we reached number 10. Uh, the base of Mikdash has just, just, just been rebuilt. A pale shadow of its former self as the elders cried, cried and the youth celebrated. We mentioned yesterday, Ezra has just come up, made Aliyah from, from Bavel with his... Uh, with his uh, Ezra just made Aliyah with the 10 Yuchsin that we saw from our fourth chapter in Kedushin. Meanwhile, back in Persia, there's one, there's another great figure from this period who's serving as the butler, a non-enviable job in the ancient world. What, did, what was a butler's major task? He was the wine taster. Why was that not an enviable position? Because you could get poisoned. Yeah, before the king was poisoned, the wine taster was. That's why he tasted the wine. It was not, ooh, for, what were they called, the onophile? Onophile are, are wine lovers. Right, so it was not an enviable thing, but he was below. Java would never do that. Right, okay. especially in the ancient world. On the other hand, if it's not poisonous, then you get some wine. It's true. That's right, hundred percent. Daniel, you know, would you stop being such an uh, eternal optimist? The um, in this case, the king's the king's appointed um, appointed wine taster was Nehemiah ben Chachalia, uh, um, who. Through a series of stories, misjudged Nehemiah and then realized it was all the Shem Shemaim, was greatly distressed at the persecution the Jews back in Yerushalayim were suffering at the very beginning of the Second Temple period. The walls were not even up. They'd crumbled from the First Temple period. And if you don't have walls around your city in the ancient world, in the pre-modern world, really, why is that a big deal? Because you get attacked. Right. There was no such thing as alarm systems and viable keys that could keep the burglars out or the, or the bad guys out. And there are a lot of bad guys. Namely, of course, who are the big bad guys these days? The Shomronim. The Shomronim and others. And so Nehemiah is sent to Yerushalayim to repair the city walls. He does so quietly. He works with his team of men. Um, and the Jews start returning and rebuilding. There's a big celebration when he finishes the walls. They're, safe, they're successfully able to vanquish their enemies in several different stories. Again, I'm, I'm abbreviating, uh, and, uh, and you'll hear the, uh, the dramatic intrigue on the expanded version of history if it interests you. The, um, that Rosh Hashanah is a big Rosh Hashanah, and I'm about to describe what I described yesterday as one of the turning points, one of the turning points in all of history. Um, so I, I think it's a great consequence, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give that over to you if I can effectively. That Rosh Hashanah, the entire nation gathers. In, those people who came up from Bubble, remember most of the nation is not in Eretz Israel at all. They're back in Bubble still. But the, the remaining nation, by the way, they don't call it Eretz Israel these days. What is the name of the um, district where the Jews find themselves? It's not yet Palestine. That's, that's much later. But it's a, it's a reasonable guess. It's called, appropriately enough, Yehuda, or in English it's called Judea. Right? Yehuda, because why is it appropriately called Yehuda? Right, they were the southern, they were the southern kingdom. So the Jews in Yehuda are there. Good for you, Yosef. Right? The Jews are there. They've survived. And they come forward. And they, and they, they come forward and they, um, they put up a special wooden tower right there in the Ezra's Noshim for, uh, for Ezra to read from the Sefer Torah. They, uh, they read, he reads from the Torah from morning till chatzos, till the midday. Men, women, and children listen. Um, they don't have their smartphones out or anything. They just listen, wrapped with attention, and they're reduced to tears. Just the simple, raw words of the Torah, with all of its 
obvious message that we're here in this world for a very short time. We're, our goal is to seek a life of Kedusha. It's so hard to do that. We mess up so frequently. Now, think about this. Put yourself in the historical context, as I try to do, when we're, when we're, even though we're doing a rampage through history, it's a little bit quick, a little superficial, but try to experience it as if you're going through it yourself, um, as, if, as if you're going through it yourself. So the, um, you know, they're, they're crushed. Because they're realizing in the not too far past, they've utterly destroyed themselves through their explicit, what did they do? About Zara, the major sins. They exiled the Shechina because of their actions. The temple was destroyed. They're coming back, they're building this, uh, uh, as we said, it's, a, it's, it's a, an embarrassment for people who remembered it because it's a shadow of its former self, the second temple. And they're concerned, and they start weeping on this holy day. And Ezra and Nehemiah get up, and part of the problem is the poor people are very, very poor. There are a few rich people, including Nehemiah. Um, and Nehemiah gets up, and he sets a model himself. He shares of his whole household, all of his wealth with the poor, and he tells the wealthy people to do the same. And they say, stop crying. It's not a time for tears. This is a yantif. Rosh Hashanah is a very sober, uh, sobering kind of a yantav, but he says it's a yantav, it's not the time for tears. And a very, very famous pasuk here. Why they explain? Ki Hashem, hi ma'uschem. The joy of serving Hashem is your ultimate refuge. It's the ultimate safe space. Um, you have to realize this through history. We go through lots of dark chapters in history. Arguably, what we're experiencing these days is one of them. Um, you are, I don't know if anybody's ever said this, it doesn't, people don't talk so much about this in politics, but I'll just point out the obvious that all of you here are to be commended for the fact that you're remaining in Eretz Yisrael, learning Torah through all the hardships and showing your support for Klai Yisrael, right? I don't know if there's pressure from the home, oh, it's dangerous, you gotta go, does anybody get such things? Anybody get phone calls? Torah, yeah, it's really dangerous. Yeah, Torah's dangerous. I li- no, Torah's safe, but life is dangerous. And, and the fact that you're here in dark times in history, they say when you're doing the ruts on the will of Hashem, when you're doing what Hashem wants, He takes care of you. And your emotion should be one of simcha. You should feel elated and great that you're doing that. And that's what Ezra and Nehemiah tell people on this, on this momentous time in history. They have a fantastic Rosh Hashanah. And the Pasuk tells us, and Yom Kippur, it's not to be believed. And then it's Sukkot, and Sukkot is Man Simchasenu. It's the most elated Sukkot that the, that the nation has ever endured. And then I'm glad you all came because we're about to get to one of the big turning points in all of history. On the 24th of Tishrei, they've completed the cycle of the Yamim Noraim. They're mamish basking in the rays of the Shechina. And they all gather. And now it's after Yantiv, so now it's time for a little collective tshuva and remorse. And they declare a new fast, a special fast for these days. You know that's possible. Rabbis in, every, in any generation can get up and say, it's time that we're going to fast. And they, they decree a fast. Everybody wears sackcloth, which is a special uh, for the occasion. And uh, they, they throw dirt in their hair. And the Gemara, it's actually two Gemaras. You find this in Yuma. And Sanhedrin tells the following story. The Anshe Knesset Gedola is now emerged as the effective leaders of the Jews. And I alluded to this yesterday. The men of the Great Assembly um, emerge as the great leaders of the Jews. That was a very august body. They included how many members? It was the Sanhedrin, it's usually 70, actually more, but it's more than Sanhedrin, it's an unusual group that's actually, the number is 120. In fact, there's a body today that fancies itself to be a modern-day Anshik Nesesimidola, who am I thinking of? 
this, the, the, the similarly named Knesset is Israel's govern, government, which indeed has 120 members, not a coincidence. They model themselves on the Anshe Knesset Gedola. I would only assert that um, many of their members have don't quite have the same prestige uh, or pedigree for that matter. The uh, as the Anshe Knesset Gedola. Who are some of the Anshe Knesset Gedola? Rattle off some names for me, please. What was that? Shemazadik is the last and the least. Right, he's he's the last surviving member, but in the original generation, way later. No, no, they were not born yet. Oh, vey! Wow, we're all over the place. You guys need some history. Oh, Yecheskel, good. Yecheskel's there. Who else? Wow. Betty Davis. No, you guys were just pulling random names from history. No, let's let's organize this. Mordechai, Daniel. Yechezkel, Ezra, Nehemiah is an all-star team. Ezra, Nehemiah, the last three prophets ever. What are they? The last three prophets. Zechariah. What are the other two? Malachi, who's also one opinion is that's Ezra too. And who's the who's the third of the last of the last Nevi'im? Haggai. We said Zechariah, Malachi, and Haggai. This is this is an august body body of 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 Chachamim. And they get up and they dab in the Kodesh Baruch. Listen to this story. If you're, are anybody familiar with the story I'm about to tell? Yes. If you don't, well, you'll listen and tell me. If you don't know this, Yossi, Eli, in the back, focus on this one. Because it changes all of life and it explains so, so much. When you understand history, you understand where we were and where we are today. The, they dab in. They say, you created something. We talked about this before. You created a, a, a Yetzirah for idolatry. We talked about it with Menashe Melech, the Yetzirah for idolatry was an all-consuming passion that they couldn't control, they didn't control, they couldn't control, and we have nothing like it today. And they said, we know why you created this Yetzirah for idolatry. Incredible. Remember he said, you'd pick up your coattails and run after, you'd barely be able to control yourself. It was such a sweeping, consuming kind of uh, a desire. And they said, we know why you created this too. It's a terrible Yitzhahara, but you said if we can overcome it, we get immense war, reward. They said, we don't want it, and we don't want its reward. We can't. It's still dancing among us. It destroyed our temple. It sent us into exile. We're still in exile. We're just a, a paltry number of Jews returning to rebuild a pathetic little base of Mikdash that's a shadow of its former self. And we're concerned because we're starting all over again, but nothing's changed, and we're going to fall right back into the same old patterns. We don't want it, Hashem. We can't deal with it anymore. Hashem does something extraordinary, sends down his divine stamp, his signature. Let me know the name of what, what Hashem's signature is. They send this Gemara. It's one word. No, no. It's a one word. It's a signature, whatever this means. No, no, it's not one of his names. It's a signature. I guess the closest we would have nowadays is um, when you have that automatic sign-off on an email. It's like your signature. What's Hashem's signature? I'll give you a hint. It encapsulates the Aleph base. It's a word that you definitely know. It starts with an Aleph, ends with a top, and has the middle letter in the center. That's Hashem's signature. Emes. Emes. Emes Sheishlo Raglaim Chazal say. Emes all has legs. Because if you were to build those those uh, puffy three dimensional letters, they could each stand on its own. What's the opposite of Emes? Sheker. Sheker. Ain If you were to build the, the three dimensional versions, they'd all wobble over. And of course, it's not just a cute idea, it's true. Lies are always, always fall apart. Truth always resonates and stands up. Cool, Man, the exact. Middle of the olive base. Actually, there's no exact middle. 
based on our Gemara, it's an even number. Is it on this side or on that side? Well, I missed it technically. But yeah, go ahead. Also, I read this other thing that the first three letters of the first three words of the Torah spell out MS, and the also. last three letters of the last three words also. And we're just getting started. If I were doing a shear, a proper shear in Kabbalah, we would not be, we'd not leave. Can we'd we talk about these and the significance of these, 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 but I'm not doing that right now. Why don't we do like a bunch of different, like, cool Zamatrias and stuff? We can't, we can't. This rabbi that lives near me is the coolest cool thing ever. Yeah. Well, well and you have to realize, let me just comment on that. Gematrias are definitely what you say cool. There's no question. They have that kind of wow feeling, but you have to see but to see through that, you have to realize, it's not a wow just for, like, to impress your friends at cocktail parties, like, ooh, got a bunch of tricks here, right? It, it's, you know, Chazal are much bigger than that, and the Torah is much bigger than that. What this shows is the inevitability of the, of, of the world, and how Torah predates the world. It's true. You know, these things, like, he, like, he, like, takes, like, a letter, says, like, 613 letters from here, and then 613 from here. I'm with you, but not for now. Not for now. Let's get back on track. So Kodesh Baruch sends out his divine stamp, Emes, which means he, he agrees with what they're saying. Different generations can handle only so much, and this generation couldn't take it anymore. Suddenly, from the Kodesh Kedoshim, from the Holy of Holies, emerges, because they're standing right there in the, in the area of the compound of the base of Mikdash itself. Suddenly, in the middle of the Holy of Holies, this is the area, right? Remember the Dome of the Rock? Well, let's, let's take out that, let's take out, right, right here. This is an aerial view from the south, looking north. Here's the western wall. You're all oriented on this picture. So suddenly in this area where the base of Mikdash is, um, here's, here's ground plans of the base of Mikdash. These are the psukim you say when you tear Kriya. By the close, you've all tear Kriya. Tear Kriya. Sahalaf. When you go there next, you'll tear Kriya. Take a shirt. Um, you could sew it again and use it again if you want. Make sure I wear a shirt on that. Not a t-shirt. Not a t-shirt. A real shirt. Yeah, a real shirt. The, um, they're standing out here in the Ezra Sinashim. And this is the Kodesh Kedoshim. This is east, this is west. This is east, this is west. Um, and, the, and, the, the, and suddenly, emerging from the Holy of Holies, where the Aaron Kodesh once stood but is now lost, emerges a lion cub that's on fire. A fiery lion comes, comes out. The Navi Zachariah, the last of the Navim, says, and whenever you learn a Gadata, you have to realize it's incredibly deep. You're hearing the superficial story that has layers of meaning. So don't jump to any conclusions about any like details. Simply absorb the ideas and recognize there's immense profundity. If you think gematria is interesting, wait till you see some of this agadita, what it really means. Suddenly, Zacharias says he sees this fiery lion cub. It emerges from the Holy of Holies. And he says, that's the code that is the Yetzirah for Avodah That's the Yetzirah, the desire for idolatry incarnate. It roars. Its roar is, fer is, is, is uh, ferocious. It reaches the 400 parsangs, Persian miles, all over Eretz Yisrael, and they're terrified. And they say, what do we do? And the Navi gives them the recipe. He says, you can contain this. You can take it, put lead in its mouth, stuff it in a lead tube, and put it under the base of Mikdash. Where should they put it under the base of Mikdash, of course? With the Aaron with everything else in those tunnels that are all subterranean we talked about, with the remnants of the Mishkan, and the Aaron Kodesh, and the Mate of Aaron, Aaron and, the, uh, and the flask of Man, and of course, not ever to forget the golden rats and hemorrhoids. It's all down there. Anybody who's missed, missed a few phases of history, you don't know what we're talking about, that's okay. Uh, you'll catch up. The, um, 
they, they stuff it under there, and effectively what the Gemarats, Gemarat Sanhedrin and Osin Yuma tells us through this, through this powerful story is that they managed to not destroy, get this too, this is significant, they never destroy the Yitzhahara for idolatry, they contain it, and they stuff it under the base of Mikdash. And suddenly, all of life as they knew it changed. They got the way. The best way I can describe this is my own words. Is they the humanity got a collective spiritual lobotomy. Lobotomies they don't do them anymore nowadays. They take out a piece, not, not much, just a little piece of the brain. And then the person he's still the same person, but he sort of talks like this. Yeah, you've seen that kind of thing. A little bit like that's what happened to us spiritually. We used to have this spiritual greatness, and we're still spiritual people. But what changed? You know what? But exact, there is, by the way, you want to look this up, look in Ratzadah Cohen. he elaborates on all these things, explaining the Gemara. What's suddenly gone in history? Nevoah. This exact moment coincides with the cessation of prophecy in the world. Because prophecy is the most powerful spiritual charge. It means that no, nothing less than 11 levels of prophecy the Rambam delineates, but nothing less than communing with the Shrina itself and speaking as it were, having some encounter, whether through the clear glass like Moshe or through a foggy glass, but some kind of encounter with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, no longer is that there. There's no more prophecy in history. Anybody who comes from this point on, this is one of the reputation, the Kuzar, one of the... <coughs> one of the... Uh, points the Kuzari makes a couple thousand years later um, to the Christians and the Muslims they say there was no prophecy you guys claim to come from the Jewish tradition so therefore you say everything in Judaism is true until Yashka comes along or later the Muhammad comes along he says we lost you there because if that's true if that's your premise you would have to agree with us that at this point in history there's no more prophecy you therefore cannot claim that Yashka had prophecy and you guys can't claim that Muhammad had prophecy basic argument that's irrefutable so there's no more prophecy. There is what's called the Basco. There is what's called the Basco, which is a heavenly echo. There's something called Ruach HaKodesh, but it's not the same. We're turned off. What? Yes. They don't have to be with anything. The Anshik Nesedolet David. The Tefillah was accepted. Hashem said, okay, no more Yetzirah for idolatry. But you know, the Yetzirah is inherently a positive thing. Even though we call it Ra, and Hashem himself, as our Gemara tells us in Lama Nama Beis, calls it Ra, Yetzir Leit Shenemar, Yetzir Lev Adam Ra Minurav. But even so, inherently it's good. Because when Hashem creates the world in a raw force, and then he says, here people, you all have freedom of choice, you have the Chir Chavshis, go use it. You want to use it for good? How can the Yetzirah be used for good? Famously, the Medrash tells us, without the Yetzirah, we wouldn't have children, we wouldn't compete in the base Medrash, we wouldn't go out and work. We would all just sit around doing nothing. That's not human. Yetzahara is the catalyst for growth, for change, for doing. For doing in the world. And in, and in the days before this, that's what I'm saying, this is a major turning point in history. In the days before this, it was the catalyst to actually connect us with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. But it was a dangerous, potent force. And when you didn't use it to connect with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, it actually took you to a Vodazara itself. So he nullified that quality that used to exist in human beings, and the reason I can't explain it to you, really, is because I don't know what it was. I can only, just, I can only channel the explanations of Chazal and give over the ideas without really fully in, uh, understanding what it is. There's no analogy in the world. Bernie? Um, so was that a bad thing? Like, it was simply a necessary order. That obviously, if Hashem allowed it, 
It was okay. It was what the nation required. It was, but, but, but it was a bad thing collectively because it was a result of our sins. I mean, this, and, and we needed it because we weren't worthy. We couldn't deal with the Yitzhak idolatry anymore. But that balance, wouldn't it have been better if we kept prophecy and still had the, like, I guess you can't... In, the, in a perfect it, world, that's the case. They were simply, they had declined such as generations that they couldn't do it anymore. But you're right. If they hadn't declined, if they would make tshuva, if we would make tshuva today, we would get prophecy back, and we would get the Yitzhak for idolatry back, and it would be great. Because we would use it, we would channel it for the good. We didn't just use, lose prophecy. We lost a few things. Anybody know what else we lost? P- pretty significant things. Do you know that the Antichness, Michael, stay ready for this one. You know the Antichness Adola wrote, wrote um, some bestsellers? You familiar with their books? They were great writers. They wrote a couple bestsellers, Men of the Great Assembly. Oh, you probably haven't heard of them. They're not that big of a deal. They wrote The Sitter. You've heard of it. What does, that, what does that mean when you say that they're the sinner? They organized, they organized how they organized. Namely, Shmonasrei, what we call the 18 benedictions, you know, the centerpiece of our tefillah, all brachos, kaddish, havdala. Benedictions is brachos in English, it's terrible, I know. It's like phylacteries or tefillahs. Yeah, doesn't work. They put it all together. They, they, wrote, they, they wrote another bestseller. Chumish. Uh, you can do better than that. Tanakh. We'll elaborate on that later. But... Bestsellers, no? Um, what does that mean they wrote the Shmonasrei? What, nobody davened before that? They organized it. No, nobody davened before? Nobody said Shmonasrei before? Before the first place was destroyed, people didn't need to be told how to daven because it was a Because you had the for idolatry, which meant you had spiritual luminance. Hashem was all around you. You opened your mouth, get this idea? You opened your mouth, and tefillah naturally poured out. There was no, there was no happen meaning you'd have otherwise. You'd want to daven. You couldn't stop yourself from davening. That was how, that was how spirituality was incandescent but in the universe. Not the first temple, you're wrong. Now, that's why I'm emphasizing this point. It's at this juncture in history that suddenly we opened our mouths. This is gonna sound very familiar, sadly and pathetically familiar to most of us here. We opened our mouths and what happened? Uh, uh, nothing comes out. Because I'm a blank. And I stand there in my tefillah with a Kaddish Baruch And I know I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm standing before the Shekhinah himself. And I don't even know what to say. And so I didn't know what to say. Anshik Nesliknolis did this great tova after this fact. After this fact, they formulated 18, later on it becomes 19, but 18 blessings to give us something, a, a way of opening our mouths and at least starting. And through that, we could organize our tefillah and try to get to some level. But you know, it's nowhere like it used to be. They don't make them like they used to, right? And human beings are not the same. So we lost the ability to pray with that gishmak, with that, with that kavana that we once had, and that's why we had to replace it. And now you're getting the sense, David, I'm going back to, David asked a question yesterday from the Kofrim. I didn't. That the, no, David here. Sorry. That's okay. No, they're, they're, it's a good name. Uh, you know, I think it's a fantastic name. The, uh, right? So, so, so some of the secular university types will say that Judaism was created at this time. And they're not totally off. The proper way of saying it simply is that um, today's vision of Judaism to a large degree was redesigned by the Anshik Nesikadola necessarily to accommodate the historical reality is the way to look at it. They saw, okay, we didn't dive anymore. Okay, here's Tefillah now. Here's Brachos. Here's Abdullah. Here's Kaddish. Here's how to do it properly. What else? They gave a Nusach to the Brachos. They gave it formally so that all Jews would have it because again, Nobody would ever think of this. I was sitting at lunch today and somebody just was eating and then just got up and didn't say bracha chrona. Can you imagine? Just 
got up. He didn't say Baruch HaKorona. It just didn't happen. But back in these days, it was not heard of. You naturally, you didn't just pop food in your mouth. You just pop food in your mouth. You just, you just, you get blessed first. You knew what it was. It was automatic. It was natural. It was organic. Now suddenly we need brachos before and after. A set nusach. We need all these things. You know what else there used to be that doesn't anymore? At this point in history, it all changes. There used to be what was called nisim gluyim, revealed miracles, meaning things that went against the natural order of the world that were evident all around. Today we have nisim nistarim, hidden miracles. Meaning all of our lives are a miracle. The fact that we can breathe is a miracle. We just don't always perceive it and we, 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 um, we see it in the natural order. Um, it's a pretty important step in history. Um, the, listen to the end of the story. The Antichrist Gedola saw they had a good thing going. They said, you know, since it's an ace rot since it's a time of Hashem's general uh, accommodation, accommodating nature, he's listening to our tefillahs, while we're at it, let's get rid of the other Yitzhahara, you know, that stuff. Well, you know. I don't have to elaborate. Well, when you think of Yitzhahara towards like really icky stuff, that's what that's what they're referring to. Arayos, all the immodesty area stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Enough said. The um, the um, and so Hashem in this ace ratzon in this in this in this time of his accommodation, uh, he he agreed. And so there's something really weird happened. This is a very famous part of the story. I mean, this this part of the story is familiar, right? Um, suddenly a man got sick, and the doctors prescribed getting an egg as part of his remedy, and they could not find an egg because all the um, birds all over the country had ceased laying eggs. See, they got rid of the Sahara for anything. So all of nature stopped. Women who were pregnant didn't give birth. Everything came to a grinding standstill because when you have no Sahara, everything ceased, fu- ceased functioning. So they say, okay, this is not going to work. This is not, this, is not, this is not a state of reality that humanity can live with. So they dive in again after this, rea- after this state of affairs came, became real to them. They said, I'm paraphrasing the Gemara, but it's something to the effect of, um, well, could you um, take the yucky stuff part of the Sahara and keep that gone and give us the stuff that we need? And then clearly the um, it doesn't work that way. It's a package deal. You get the good and the bad together. Here's the here's the Chirachovshis, here's freedom of choice. Now use it for the good. And so the one thing a Kaddish Baruch did give us like a party favor. He said, okay, you got to deal with your Yitzhahara, and that's the same Yitzhahara that you and I have today, right, in all these, all these areas. But one thing that was subdued, was minimized, um, there used to be a powerful Yitzhahara for incest, and that was, that was uh, reduced. Now there's a less Yitzhahara for incest. I'll take it. I'll take it. What's that? Why, why, like, it seems like very random. Not at all. Not at all. I, I'm telling you something. I, I just got it. I can't believe how quickly I just did that. That usually takes me a few hours. Okay. What I did, what I did in about seven minutes. But what I'm conveying to you is that do not stop here. In other words, if any of this intrigues you, you must open up the Gemara. If, if you want the references, I'll tell you what it is. It's Samach Gimel Amad Aleph in Sanhedrin and Samach Tes Amad Base in Yuma. And you look it up and take it to Marsha and the Maharal and all the and the Ein Yaakov and all the Mefarshim and really go deep on this. Very important uh, changing point in all of history. Um, what, was, what was the positive thing that was taken away when took away Oh, what did we lose? The fact that that that's a good question. It's not clear from that Gemara. Excellent question, Ezra. What was you know, the fact that we no longer have desire for incest, but maybe that's coming at the expense of something. You're right. It must be that it was at the expense of something, but 
It not not clear from the Gemara what that was. When the age of Nevoah, the last Nevim, I referred to them before as Zachariah, Haggai, and Malachi, when the age of prophecy comes to an end, um, there's a new age that emerges. Because we can't rely on prophets anymore. It used to be, this is so important, it used to be that there was no machlokas. There was no ambiguity. You, you asked a Shaila, the Navi told you, this is what Hashem wants you to do. And you said, okay, what's the law? This is the law, and this is what you do. Okay? And it was straightforward, and there was no ambiguity. Now suddenly we don't have prophets. What are we going to do about that? How are we going to supplement our lives spiritually? Now the age, something that always existed, but now it reaches the forefront of our lives. Can you demonstrate, um, for Jeremy, just a moment, hold up this book in front of you. Very fine work. Um, this is representative of what we call Chochmah. This is what we call chokhmah. This is wisdom. It's all given to us, and now this is all we have. In the days, now that there's no more prophecy in the world, lovely, thank you, very nice, nicely demonstrated. Uh, right? In the days, in the days, this is what we have left to us. And so now the emergence of Tamani Chachamim as the new version of prophets, now, now, now this becomes all important. <coughs> I mentioned yesterday that when Esther and Mordechai emerged, um, that was meant to buttress the view of the, of the Chachamim in the eyes of the nation. The men of the Great Assembly changed a lot of things. I'll give you, this, this is again, this is a three hour sheer. I'm just giving you a test, I'm giving you a taste of some of the things they, cha they changed. They set standards because they saw the nation, they saw the Jewish people were weak. And they were, uh, they, they had a hard time observing lots of things that were natural for them before. And so the goal was to try to upgrade everybody, try to make them strong. They reestablished a central Torah, Torah institution that is the center of Torah. What's it called, of course? The mirror. But before there was the mirror, there was the? Is the name of Masechta by this name? The great Sanhedrin. Because the Sanhedrin, what is the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin was like a learning. Oh, you got it. I was going to trick you, but you walked right into the correct answer. I was going to, the answer you're supposed to say, what is Sanhedrin? It's the high court. And I was going to say, it's so much more. From Zion emerges Torah. It is the central place, authority of learning Torah. <coughs> the greatest Talmud Chachamim of every generation resided, sat in seats that were ranked, and everybody knew exactly where they were in their Torah status. They ranked in the in the um, Anshikinas Gedola, and that was the central place. It was a central address. <coughs> it was extremely helpful because when you had a Shaila, you. Um, you knew where to go, and again, you're not prophets anymore, but at least you have a Sanhedrin. Go ahead, Bernie. Were, were, the question that we're asking were those basically all just, okay, so like, like you have the rings of people learning, and then, and then it was like questions got passed up, and like everyone learning, or was it actual straight questions also? Yes and yes. Okay. It was all of the above. It was the central address. It was the busiest, most vibrant, buzzing, exciting and place. Yes. In their seats, and it was known, and you knew exactly where you were relative to the next guy, and it was it was when it worked well, like in this earlier iteration with the Antiochus Gnolin, it was gorgeous. It was it was it was it set the standard. We're going to see the Second Temple. I've mentioned this before. Is not the proudest time for the Jews. This 420 years was very rocky, and there'll be times, especially when the Hellenists, the Greeks, influence the Jews, that the Sanhedrin becomes totally and utterly corrupt. But in its in its heyday, at least, it was the seat of wisdom. Did the 
it went up the ladder and there, were there was a pecking order and go learn the Sefa Sanhedrin to understand their procedures because they're complex. And it depended which, which area of halacha was it dealing with Mamonos, dealing the Fashos, it depended. But there was absolutely a very clear structure and it made a tremendous amount of sense. In the days of Chochmah, suddenly there emerged a new concept called Durabanan. Because it was always the Uraisa, and really there were always rabbis, but you didn't really need a Durabanan. I, am I making a case that all of, much of Judaism as we picture it today was really shaped in this generation necessarily in response to the new reality? So, so Durabanan emerges, the rabbis have the authority. How do the rabbis have the authority? What's the possibility? No, 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 no. Parashat Dvarim. Lo Sosur. Don't deviate from their words. Now the rabbis have the authority to, um, to, to determine things. And new laws are going to come, are going to emerge, are going to emerge that have a Durabanan force, the rabbinic authority. The rabbis with their, with their authority start making Takanos. Do anybody know some of the famous Takanos decrees of the men of the Great Assembly? Muktza. Muktza wasn't necessary before, but Shabbos observant was natural. Suddenly, people were keeping Shabbos and they were neglecting certain things. How does Muktza work? Muktza functions as a siyad, as a fence around the Torah. If people were so used to doing averas and, and malachos, it was harder to, to control yourself. But if you can't even move the object that's associated with the malacha, you're much less likely to violate it. And so Muktzah became mainstream Judaism as a way of trying to upgrade Torah observance. They made another decree against what's called Mecca Chumemkar. Mecca Chumemkar business. You know, before this, you could do business on Shabbos. You could have money. You could, hand, you could handle money. You could even pay, you could pay for things. What were the men of the Great Assembly concerned with? In business transactions, almost always what happens? You're right. Well, that's a malacha. So they said, no business transactions. We're going to get people far away from even a possible malacha on Shabbos. Milk and meat is from the Torah. No, the four wings down. Oh, that's much later. That's going to be later in the same spirit of things. My father, it's the Gemara and Chulin. Marokfa says, my father was, I'm Chometz Ben I'm just vinegar next to my father's fine wine. He was great. He would wait one day. After eating meat, after eating meat before he ate milk, I'm such a nevish. I'm such a nevish, right? I'm nobody. I only wait from meal to meal, and since the classic way that they ate was from, they waited six hours, so that's why we wait six hours. That's where that comes from. That's the same spirit, though. So that's. I mean, it's a reasonable question. Before this generation, was there like the stores and the market was open on Shabbos? I don't know. Not necessarily, because people rested on Shabbos. It just wasn't prohibited. Some right, in other words, it wasn't an issue because people were upgraded. They were already keeping Shabbos so naturally. The concern that people might come to write was not live, was not real. So now suddenly it's real. Now you have a different, you have a different mode of, of, of being. <coughs> they established now that the base team should meet every twice a week, at least every Monday and Thursday, so that they could be public readings, and that should be, the people should be benefited. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu had decreed. Moshe had already decreed that there should be a public reading of the Torah, but they organized life so that the common people who live out in the villages and don't have smartphones or apps or anything, any way of connecting them with the Ibrahim Torah. Yossi, I'm good today. I'm saying on theme, right? The, um, the, uh, they, they, uh, they, uh, they would able, everybody would come to market day and therefore they'd hear a Kriya Torah. 
Because a Jew is not a Jew unless he hears the reading of the Torah. At, um, if he goes more than three days without hearing a Torah, to, the, the reading of the Torah, oy Woe to him. But wasn't that in every synagogue? Wasn't it specifically a synagogue? No, no, no. I, it wasn't every city. In the big cities. But the purpose was to benefit everybody. Because everybody came to market day on Mondays and Thursdays. That was from the Anshik Nesigdola. Ezra was, Ezra was Metak in Tzvila. It was called Tzvilas Ezra. That men, after they have impurity, after, after they spill seed, or, or, or even they, they do it in a kosher way with their wives, but they have to go to the mikvah uh, before they can learn Torah, say brachos, say, say uh, tefillah, or anything else. That's called Tzvilas Ezra. Sometime in the times of the Gemara, they saw that even that was too rigorous for the people, and they nullified what's called, when I say Tvila. Ezra, it's not tefillah, it's immersion, like in toiveling in the mikveh, tefillah's Ezra. Today, there are very holy people who are careful, who are makbid on what's called tefillah's Ezra, and if they, for example, are with their wives, they'll go to the mikveh early, early in the morning before they go to shachris, but it's a chumrah. It's not, it's not actually a law, you don't have to do this nowadays, um, but that came from this time period as well. Um, they set down in writing something that they had already established in Bavl, which was a calendar for when you don't have a Sanhedrin in, in, in functioning. Because when you don't have a group that's declaring the new moon, you need to know what the law is. You need to know what the day on the calendar is so you know which yantif it is on any given day. This calendar will eventually be set down in writing and become, become official in the days of Hillel II in the early Amorayim. But this is from the Anshay Knesset Zagadola as well. Um, yeah, go ahead, Ari. You had a question? No, no. Okay. But, um, well, my I didn't hear. The the uh, what's big deal thing starts at six fifteen in the front gate. I don't believe it. Is it says six fifteen? Six fifteen? It says that on the sign. Yeah. Okay. So then let me just finish, and uh, we we have about a minute, and and they won't leave. They're not leaving in pumpkin six fifteen. The um, you've noticed that around these parts. The um. They don't actually write a siddur. I misled you a little earlier. They don't write a formal siddur. What they do is, it's an oral tradition. That's why, among other things, there's such a thing as chazara sashats. Because it was oral, they didn't have a siddur. The ameha arets, the ignoramuses, needed to rely on the repetition so they could get tefillah too. It waited all the way to the days of Rav Amram Gaon and the, um, over a millennium later for, for us, the first Sidur to emerge. But the Anshe Knesset basically wrote the, wrote the, uh, the outline, the so basic, the basic um, format of the Sidur that was written down later on. Yeah. Does, does that mean that should be, how would you say, into... No, because once something becomes established, it remains unless there's a reason to get rid of it. They established now that the Jews were back in Yerushalayim, that Jews should, this is, that Jews when davening should face, should face Yerushalayim, and in Yerushalayim they should face the base of Mikdash. They canonized 24, not 25, not 23, but 24 books in the Bible. Um, they actually, with Ruach HaKodesh, wrote Diver HaYomim and Esther, Ezra Nehemiah. Uh, and, and, and they set all the traditions, this is gonna sound familiar from our Gemara, they set all the traditions through Ruach HaKodesh, What's, what's male and what's chaser, if you remember what's lacking, what's, what's, what's full, all of the cantillations, the ta'amea mikra came from the Anshik Nesagadola, the various levels of understanding, what's called pardes and all of the traditions, the targum that we call targum onkelis, they had too, they preserved it from Harsinai. Um, it was all from Harsinai, it was forgotten later, that's why, it was a, it's why we call it onkelis, but it's, onkelis didn't make it up. Bezras um, Hashem tomorrow, uh, we're going to start with the Greeks.
because it's about around the corner, the Greek Revolution that leads to Hanukkah. So Baruch Hashem, we got there on time. I wasn't sure if we would uh, make time before before Hanukkah, before before our sessions come to an end, but we will get there uh, starting tomorrow.